Church. Give it up for Jesus this morning. Come on, come on. Man, oh man. Man, oh man. <laughs> it is church, it is Sunday. And what does that mean? It is absolutely our fun day, man. Oh my word. I love being here with you. I love the fact that we're singing praises to an awesome God and celebrating life change through his son, Jesus Christ. You know, I just, I sat back to that last song and just to hear your worship this morning brought me to tears. Thank you, church, for singing to an awesome God and, and worshiping this morning. It's absolutely amazing. Um, you know, we're, before we get into this morning's conversation, I want to throw out there a little something about uh, Trunk or Treat. Uh, we, we plan this every year. It's been a thing at Vertical for many years. Uh, we, we try to plan to have 40 trunks to set up inside the school here around in their back parking lot. I'm not sure where it's at. We'll find out. You'll find out. Um, but we plan to have 40 because we know we're going to reach somewhere between 1,000 and 1,200 kids and their parents are coming, and it gives us the opportunity to hand out invite cards, experience the love of Jesus, brings their kids in a safe environment where they can, they can receive candy, and all the dads are happy, and the dentists are happy, you know, all those kind of things. We really think this stuff through. No, we don't. I'm sorry. Um, but right now, we, right now, we're planning for 40, and I needed to share with you, church, we only have 22 trunks. 22 trunks. And uh, do me doing the math, carry the one. We have 18 that need to be filled. So I'm asking you this morning to think about this, pray about this, to provide a trunk. Listen, this is what a trunk means. It means you, you have a trunk of your car, right? You pop the trunk, you do some kind of decorations. We're not judging you. You know, just put something in there that makes it look cool. Or it doesn't even have to be cool. I mean, I put an orange cone in there and say, look, I'm a parking spot. I don't care. <laughs> right? And then you provide the first 500 pieces of candy. And as a church, we provide the rest. That's all you need. And when it's from 5 to 7 on the 29th, when we're done with service, go out there. There should be a line of people signing up for trunks. We need at least 40. We want to impact these kids. And they come in like, oh, I'm so excited. And we have, there's only 20 trunks. Okay, where's the rest of the people? So you're with me on that, church? All right. 500 pieces of candy. Decorate your trunk with an orange cone. We can have 14 orange cones. I don't care. Right? Celebrate the kids that are there. So listen, we give out 70,000 pieces of candy that night. Let me say it again, 70,000 pieces of candy. Yeah. So sign up for your trunk or treat. We'll be there. We'll have a good time. All the cool kids are doing it. <laughs> Church, open your Bibles, if you would, to 2 Timothy chapter 4. 2 Timothy chapter 4, starting at verse 6 this morning. If you grab an orange Bible on the way in, you'll find it on page 814. 814. By the way, if you grab an orange Bible on the way in and you don't have a Bible of your own, please take that. That's our gift to you. We love to give out Bibles because we believe the Word of God is alive and active and, and it pierces the soul and changes lives. Uh, 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 6, uh, or page 814. We're going to get that to there in a little bit. Uh, but this morning we are wrapping up our latest series, Fanatic. Uh, for some in this room, uh, you're, you're like thankful for that bumper video to go away. For others of in this room, I don't know if you saw me back there, I'm still getting my groove on throughout the week because I absolutely love that song. Uh, anyway, you want to look, we're walking through this series, it's coming to an end. But throughout this series, friends, we have been challenged, we've been challenged by scripture 
not just to learn, but actually how to live out a fanatical life for the one who lived his life as a fanatic for us, right? Jesus lived a life that was completely fanatic in a way that we can look at as like, oh my word, I can't believe someone would do that for me. And what Jesus says in scripture is like, I want my church to do the same for me. So we describe fanatic as we walk through this in the beginning of this series as a person is a person with excessive enthusiasm or zeal for religion, a person marked by or motivated by an unreasoning passion for a cause, a person who is intensely extreme or beyond normal limits. A fanatic, friends, is someone who's over-the-top passionate about what they believe in. And each week we've been walking through this idea of understanding and coming to the reality is this extreme behavior is, is something that's expected in society. And let's be honest, it's, it's something that's championed in our culture. You know, to be, be crazy in many other areas, in many ways of our life, in many ways except for Jesus. We can be loud, we can be crazy, we can scream, we can hoot, we can holler all we want. Because all that does is show that we're passionate about something. Right? The world buys into this. But when it comes to Jesus, the world has a different standard. Your religion is good for you, but not for me. I'm, I'm glad that you found Jesus. I didn't know the dude was lost, right? But I'm glad you found Jesus, but he is not for me. I don't need him in my life. We don't need a bunch of Bible-thumping Jesus freaks running around. Fanatics need not apply. The world has a double standard. And if I'm being honest, and if we're walking through this series, honest with ourselves, I think sometimes the church has a double standard when it comes to Jesus. We get all crazy about things. We go to homecoming games. We go to our sports games of our kids that are running, doing track, playing soccer, whatever it may be. And we're screaming and shouting. We're yelling and celebrating. But when it comes to Jesus, We're very quiet. We keep to ourselves Because we, we don't want to upset anybody. We don't want to disturb anything. We don't want to be rejected. I shared last week, we want, we want to be invited to those barbecues. It's become my prayer and, and hope that as we walk through this series, that we would create an overview, overview of a lifestyle that Jesus would be celebrating that he would look into our lives and see what we're doing and say, yeah, that's my church. I mean, come on. He stood up and stood out his life for us so that we would stand up and stand out for our Savior, his message, his hope. In fact, back in the book of Acts, Stephen, who was a follower of Jesus, who was being stoned to death by the Sanhedrin for standing and proclaiming Jesus. And when all this was going down, he was proclaiming this truth in front of the Jewish people. Look at this, Acts 7, 55 and 56. But when Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God, and Jesus was standing at the right hand of God. Look what he says, look. 
I, I see heaven open up and the Son of Man is standing at the right hand of God. God gave him this beautiful vision. And what's amazing about this, what's inspiring about this, in almost every place in Scripture, when you read about Jesus being on the right hand of the Father, he is sitting. But here, Stephen is seeing the glory, and the Savior is standing. Now, the scholars differ why that Jesus is standing. Some say that Jesus is standing to, uh, putting judgment on those who are hurting Stephen. Other scholars say that Jesus was standing, that he was welcoming the martyring of his son to come home, right? Because he saw the truth of what he stood for, for the gospel. You know, the scholar is good. But any way you look at it, Jesus is standing for the one who was standing for him. Now, I don't know about you, church. But I want my life to do something like that for my Lord. I want my life to be lived in such a way that my Savior would be pleased. Not just pleased, but he would be standing in approval. Bible thumper, Jesus freak, call me what you want. I don't care what the world says because the only thing that matters is my Jesus and what he says. And that's what he wants from you. If you're in this room and you say, I'm a follower of Jesus, that's what he desires from you. Will you be a fanatic for the one who's a fanatic for you? You know, this morning, <clears throat> we're stepping into 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy was written by a follower of Jesus. His name was Paul. And Paul was near the, nearing the end of his life. See, Paul, once in his life, didn't like Jesus. He hated Jesus, hated all things church and Christians and Christianity, all that kind of stuff. But his life was radically changed when he came face to face with the truth of the risen Christ. And when he came face to face with that truth, he gave the rest of his life to serve him with great boldness and to be a fanatic around the people, around the, around the people that he was with. He went on missionary journeys. He proclaimed the gospel wherever he went. He planted churches. He raised leaders. He wrote letters to churches to address worldly behavior in the lives of those who say they follow him. Say, like, you say you're this, but you're living this. Let me talk to you about that. Paul was stoned for his faith. He didn't die. They thought he was dead, but he was stoned for his faith. He was shipwrecked for his faith. He gave his life for Jesus. He was under house arrest for several years. And that's where he wrote the letters of Galatians, Ephesians, Colossians, and Philippians. But now Paul's in a different place. He's under arrest and he's in a prison dungeon. He knows that his life is nearing its end. And he's writing Timothy. Timothy was a pastor at Ephesus. To give him and to give us, his church, a charge. One last charge of how to live out loud for Jesus. Do not accept the cultural current. 
fight against the grain, embrace adversity, and live out loud a fanatic for Jesus. That's what he says. Now we're going to get to chapter 4, verse 6 here in a few minutes. But I want to do something this morning. Is I want to go back several verses, uh, chapter 3, starting at verse 10. And I want to let the scripture set up our conversation. I want the scripture to set up the conversation. I believe as we walk through this morning together and we read through it, we're going to see how it really sets up our series, why we are walking through the series titled Fanatic. So if you have your Bibles, your Bible apps, you can scroll backwards to 2 Timothy 3, starting at verse 10. It will be on the screen. Look what it says. This is Paul talking to Timothy. You, however, know all about my teaching, my way of life, my purpose, my faith, patience, love, and endurance, persecutions, and sufferings. What kind of things happened to me to Antioch and Iconium and Lystra? The persecutions I endured. I love this. Yet the Lord rescued me from all of them. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be what, church? Will be persecuted. While evildoers and imposters will from go bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. Let's stop there. Paul is saying, you have seen my life. You've heard all the things that I have been through. You know who I am and who I live for and what I faced for the name of Jesus Christ. And by the way, it's going to get worse. See, I think one of the false beliefs in the church is that we can Christianize the world. We think that if we can Christianize the world, if we do so, the world's going to get better and better and better, and then we're going to usher in the kingdom of Jesus coming in. Friends, as I read scripture, <laughs> I'm told it's not going to get better, but it's going to get worse. The only time it gets better is when Lord Jesus returns, amen? Sure, lives, communities may change with the gospel, but the goal is not to Christianize the world. The goal of the church is to preach the message of hope, saved souls. By the way, this is not our home. Heaven is our home. And our, our goal is to make more and better disciples of Jesus Christ. We want to take as many people with us as possible, not Christianize the world. Verse 14, but as for you, continue to do what you have learned and become, and become convinced of because you know from the whom you have learned it. And now from infancy you, infancy you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through the faith in Jesus Christ. Verse 16, all scriptures God breathed. And is used for, useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. So that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Let's just stop there again. Church, can I say it one more time this morning? Church, read your Bibles. One, two verses said, this is why you need to be in Scripture. It leads you to the point of salvation. Friends, I know some people in my life that I've connected with that decided they didn't want God, they didn't know anything about God, they didn't care about God, and they started reading the Bible. He says, listen, listen, all I did is start reading the Bible, and I read it front to back, front to back, front to back. And in the middle, like the third time through, he says, oh my word, I need Jesus. 
We need the scripture. We can't know God and how he's called us to live unless we read God and listen how he's called us to live. Amen? Amen. The core of you and I being fanatics for Jesus is learning to live the scriptures out. Not just know them, but live them. We're not running around screaming Jesus saves. We're going around proclaiming that Jesus saves and let our lives screams the life change that comes to Jesus. You know what I mean? If we're proclaiming Jesus as a great Savior, but our lives are live like the rest of the world because we don't know or live Scripture, can I just tell you that's a false gospel? Because your life is scripture. What is God doing in you? I believe Jesus changes everything. He's the game changer in life. And we need to be in the word. The true gospel of Jesus Christ changes you. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, The old you is gone and the new you is present. You died yourself and raised a new life in Jesus Christ. That is a change, my friends. Our life with Jesus has to be different before, than our life before Jesus. Chapter 4, verse 1. In the presence of God and of Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead, in the view of his appearing and his kingdom, I give you this charge. This is serious business. He's calling Timothy and the church and us right before God. Here it is. Look what he says. Two, preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage. Do it with great patience and careful instruction. For a time will come where people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, they will suit their own desires. They will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. Let's stop there again. Tell me that is not the world that we're living in right now. Tell me we're not. People rejecting the truth. People redefining truth. Truth is whatever you want it to be. If it's true for you, then it must be true for you. You have your version of truth. I have my version of truth. Now listen, we don't have time to get into all the conversations this morning, how this is lived out. But what should scare us when we read these words is Paul is writing to a pastor and to a church. He's saying, listen, listen, be on guard this stuff is going down. And I believe it's going down now. There will come a time when teachers in the church will set aside the truth of scriptures for what other people desire. They want people to bring in and say, listen, you just need to teach us things that make us feel good. Itching of the ears. Does anybody have a dog in this room? What happens when you itch a deer? They're like, that feels really good. That feels really good. Thank you. Keep on doing it. That's what they're looking for. They don't want the truth. 
That's what they expect in their churches. Feel good messages. Don't worry about how you're living. Sin, hell isn't real. We want messages that are no longer going to challenge us to look more like Jesus and less like the world. We don't want to hear that. That is happening in churches today, and we were warned about it 2,000 years ago. We're told to accept everything. Embrace it, because you know what? God is love. Friends, this will not be us. This will not be us, and this will not be me. I would rather take up underwater basket weaving (laughs) than preach the false truth. Because as I understand scripture, God cares more about our holiness than our happiness. That's what holy means, friends, to be set aside, set apart, to be different than the world around you. Why? So when people see us, look at us, they see Jesus Christ. Verse 5 says, but but you, keep your head in all situations, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, discharge all the duties of your ministry. Say it again, keep your cool. Don't blow your head. God has you. God has this. Just do the next right thing. Preach the word. Be a fanatic that tells the world the truth not what they want to hear. You know, that's the true sign of love. And now, we're at this point, we're going to slow down and step into verse 6 for our last few minutes together this morning. Look at verse 6 on the screen. He says, For I'm already being poured out like a drink offering, and the time for my departure is near. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Paul gave his life for the gospel because the gospel Jesus gave his life for him. And we just read and discussed a glimpse of what Paul faced through as a follower of Jesus. And now he's in a dark prison, knowing his time on earth is done and close to being done. He is still proclaiming Jesus. And the last point for this series, friends, a fanatic is a fanatic until the day they die. A fanatic is a fanatic until the day they die. This is exactly what Paul did. To the point he came and accepted Jesus, he lived for fanatic, fanatic of Jesus to the day that he died. Being poured out like a drink offering that he just says points back to the Jewish law that Moses was establishing for the Israelites as they entered into the promised land. And that offering that, that offering was a sweet aroma to the Lord. It pleased him. So for Paul to say that it was poured out like he was poured out like a drink offering, that his life was poured out an offering for Jesus. Whatever the cost, whatever it takes, that his life was pleasing aroma to the Lord until the end. Friends, following a fanatic, following Jesus being a fanatic for Jesus is not just for a season. It's not just when it's easy. 
It's not when it's convenient. It doesn't make a difference if you're 5, 10, 25, 45, 85 years old. We are offering to serve and follow Jesus never ends. And what I love about this is Paul, is, his life is getting ready to end. In fact, he was beheaded for his faith. He is reaching back to the next generation and saying, hey, I'm going down. I'm going to be with Jesus. Your turn. You're up. Keep it up. Don't listen to the junk. Proclaim the truth. We just saw several families say, I'm going to raise my kids that knows the Lord. We're saying, come on, tell them the truth. If you're five, you have a four-year-old behind you. If you're 10, you have a nine-year-old. 25, 24, there's always someone walking behind you. Proclaim the truth of Jesus. Let your life be a drink offering poured out for Jesus Christ. We just walked through over a dozen passages why we need to be doing this. What is to come? I don't think I need to tell you the world is dark. And it needs the light of Jesus. We all have friends that are living in darkness. We all have coworkers who are living in darkness. We all have classmates who are living in darkness, teachers who are living in darkness, family members who are living in darkness, and they need the light of Jesus. They don't need some trumped up fake thing that says, look, this will make you feel good. No, because they'll be still turning in hell. They need Jesus. They don't lie to Jesus. So they accept him, spend eternity in heaven. The true light of Jesus in their life. And Jesus has called his church to be the light of the world. Be a fanatic. Be different. Proclaim me. See, a fan gives in and gives up when things get tough. When things get unfavorable in life. A fanatic, regardless of what is being said to them, what happens to them, they continue to live it out. And Paul says when we do, there's a blessing. Look at this verse 8. Now there's in store for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day. And on that, and not only me, but also <laughs> all who have longed for his appearing. He's not just talking about himself. All means all who follow Jesus, who lives out loud for Jesus, fanatic for Jesus, holds the truth for Jesus. All, you, me. Again, the scholars differ what this looks like, what the, what the crowns are. But each one points to the fact that God blesses those who live a life that gives him glory. God recognizes and rewards a life that honors and glorifies him. There's nothing on our part that we boast about or brag about. But in reality, this is a thank you to Jesus for what you have produced in me, strengthened me in to do for you. The very acknowledgement, expectation of the reward is the acknowledgement of God's grace in our lives. Amen? So with all this in mind, 
It's time for us to make the decision. What are we going to do? You know, in every connection that we have in life, there's a moment where we have the DTR. The DTR conversation. You may not know what it is. DTR is defining the relationship. Defining the relationship. Most notably, it's used with couples as they start dating, like we need to define the relationship. But truthfully, it hits every, every relationship that we connect with in life. It may not be a verbal connection, but we all have walked through it. We meet people, and within minutes, we define what the relationship's probably going to be. Like, okay, they're just going to be a contact in my phone. Uh, they're going to be a close friend. Or we meet people, okay, those are the people I'm going to choose to ignore. Right, we define the relationship. We just didn't say it out loud. But for couples, they go on a few dates. They recognize that they, they kind of like each other. Or one likes each other a little bit more than the other. And eventually they say, hey, listen, listen. We need to sit down and have the DTR. And any guy that goes through this is like, oh. We got to define the relationship. Where is this going? Do you feel the same way about me as I do about you. If this is not going where we think it's going, then maybe we should stop seeing each other. That's what happens in those conversations. And this morning, church, I'm going to challenge you to have the DTR with Jesus. For four weeks, we've been revealing his call in our lives, what he's called us the church to be. Where are we standing? Do we, do we have, the, we have the same feelings about him as he has for us? Are we in the fan zone where we are screaming, wearing the jerseys, faces painted, when things, get, things aren't good, you know, they, everything's wonderful, but when things are bad, where are those fans are leaving the exit stands before the game's over? Is that who we are? Is that the relationship that we have with Jesus? Or are we a fanatic? That every day is game day, baby. Sunday will always be our fun day together, but every day the game is on for Jesus. That we are crazy, life out loud, out of our mind for him. That we'll stand against the cultural current of destruction, embracing adversity and suffering because what it means in our lives that we're actually living for Jesus. Church, it's time for you to stand and define who you are and who you follow. Way back in the Old Testament, this guy named Ezekiel was a prophet for God. God had a conversation with him about the impending destruction that was coming on Jerusalem for his people turning away from God and worshiping false idols of the world. Listen to what God says. Verse 30, chapter 22, I looked for someone among them who would build the wall and stand before me in the gap on behalf of the land so that I would not destroy it. God was looking for someone who would stand for him. But I found no one. 
someone, anyone, would stand before a holy God, proclaim repentance and salvation, but he found no one. Friends, God is still seeking people to stand in the gap. And by the way, that's the purpose of the church. He is seeking men, women. He is seeking adults, teens, children to stand in the gap and proclaim repentance and salvation. Destruction is coming. Go read the book of Revelation. It's coming, and what happens at the end is far worse than anything that God did at Jerusalem. Church's time. Time for the DTR. Abraham went. Moses stood and over a million lives were rescued. Joshua fought his entire life to get the people into the promised land. Gideon fought the entire Midianite army with 300 soldiers. Nehemiah, Esther, stood up to their kings of foreign lands and threw down a request which could have taken their lives. Isaiah stood up and shouted to God, Here I am, send me. Not knowing that he was going to proclaim a message to a group of people that would never accept what he wanted. Eleven out of twelve apostles were killed for their faith. Paul, as I said earlier, was beheaded. What about you? What about you? Will you stand? Will you stand for Jesus? He doesn't want fans. Will you stand and be a fanatic? Will you stand and take the persecution? Will you stand and live the truth? Will you stand and proclaim the truth? Will you stand and celebrate who God is and what he has done for you through Jesus Christ? Well, church, will you stand? How about you stand right now? Stand. Come on, give it up for Jesus. Stand. Too much of his church are sitting. They'll say, I'll let someone else do it. We'll let some other church do it. And God's talking to you saying, you need to stand for me right here, right now, because there's people in this town who need Jesus. And don't let it be an emotional moment. Because Jesus gets us all fired up and we get all emotional. Like, yeah, man, I'm in it. I'm in it. Make it a commitment. Proclaim it. Make it a commitment that your life from this day forward is going to be a drink offering poured out for Jesus. That your life is a sacrifice to the King of Kings. The one who sacrificed his life for you. Will you stand, church? Will you stand for Jesus? Now, I believe there's some people in this room who may be standing like, I have no idea what these, these fanatics are doing right now. I just came here because I was invited by a friend 
and I don't want to be the only one sitting. And you've been kicking a tire as a Christianity trying to figure out who this Jesus is. Your stand today will be a, a moment of surrender. When you say, I will no longer live for myself, I will live for Jesus, that you can surrender your life. In fact, I'm going to call the prayer team forward right now. And these folks up here would want nothing more, love nothing more, to stand with you as you give them your life. It's not about being worthy enough because none of us are worthy for Jesus. He died for us anyways. It doesn't matter how much wrong we've done, where we've been, all the things that we think we should know. Come. Give me your life. In fact, I'm going to ask you, those who are in this room, if you're ready, come down right now. Stand for Jesus in front of his church. No one in this room. But I'm scared. I'm afraid, Rich. People are going to look at me like I'm differently. I'm standing in a church and people are going to be looking at me differently. Who cares? Eternity is at the balance, friends. Stand for Jesus. Stand for Jesus. We celebrate this. This is why we are here. Stand for Jesus. I don't know where you're at, what's going on in your life, but Jesus wants you. He will chase you down. He loves you so much he gave his life for you. Stand for Jesus. Amen. Stand for Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for your love, your mercy, and grace. We thank you for Jesus. This morning is changing lives. People are going from death to life, hell to heaven, alone and to embrace by a family. Let it be an emotional moment that we're saying a prayer, but a moment they're completely surrendering your life, their lives to you as an offering. And God, as a church, I pray for the same, that our lives would be a drink offering for you, poured out, maybe a sweet aroma for you, that we'd be a church who lives like a fanatic for you. We don't care what people think or say. The only person that matters is you. May we never rest. It's never for a season. That we will be a fanatic to the day we die. That we see you face to face. Spend an eternity with our Lord. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Stand for Jesus, church. Give it up. We'll see you all next week.